0: Day 4 of the Reading Through the Bible Together podcast. And today we'll start with our Old Testament reading in Genesis chapter 8, verse 1 through chapter 10. And again, I will be reading out of the NLT version. But God remembered Noah and all the wild animals and livestock with him in the boat. He sent a wind to blow across the earth, and the floodwaters began to recede. The underground waters stopped flowing when the torrential rains from the sky were stopped. So the flood waters gradually receded from the earth after 150 days, exactly five months from the time the flood began. The boat came to rest on the mountain of Ariat. Two and a half months later, as the waters continued to go down, other mountain peaks became visible. After another 40 days, Noah opened up the window he had made in the boat and released a raven. The bird flew back and forth until the flood waters on the earth had dried up. He also released a dove to see if the water had receded and it could find ground. But the dove could find no place to land because the water still covered the ground. So it returned to the boat, and Noah held out his hand and drew the dove back inside. After waiting another seven days, Noah released the dove again. This time the dove returned to him in the evening with a fresh olive leaf in its beak. Then Noah knew that the floodwaters were almost gone. He waited another seven days and then released the dove again. This time it did not come back. Noah was 601 years old on the first day of the new year, ten and a half months after the flood began. The floodwaters had almost dried up from earth. Noah lifted back the covering of the boat and saw that the surface of the ground was drying. Two more months went by, and at last the earth was dry. Then God said to Noah, Leave the boat, all of you, you and your wife, and your sons, and their wives. Release all the animals, the birds, the livestock, and the small animals that scurry along the ground, so they can be fruitful and multiply throughout the earth. So Noah, his wife, and his sons and their wives left the boat, and all of the large and small animals and birds came out of the ground, pair by pair. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord, where he sacrificed as burnt offerings the animals and birds that had been approved for that purpose. And the Lord was pleased with the aroma of the sacrifice and said to himself, I will never again curse the ground because of the human race, even though everything they think or imagine is bent toward evil from childhood. I will never again destroy all living things as long as the earth remains. There will be planting and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night. Here at the end of the flood story, we see the mercy and the grace of God that even though Still, as humans, everything we think is truly uh, bent toward evil from childhood. You know that about yourself, and I know that about myself. God promises to never um, judge the earth in this way again. Starting in chapter 9, verse 1. It says, Then God blessed Noah and his sons, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth. All the animals of the sky, of the earth, all the birds of the sky, all the small animals that scurry along the ground, and all the fish in the sea, will look on you with fear and terror. I have placed them in your power. And just pause here, so I can interject quickly. Um, you see, uh, really, a callback to what we read in Genesis uh, one and two, the creation narrative. Uh, God blessed Adam and Eve and told them to multiply and fill the earth and to rule over the earth with dominion. And now here there's this recreation of sorts in which God does the same thing we'll see this again throughout the Bible especially the Old Testament and eventually it is fulfilled in the New Testament with Jesus uh, that God has always desired and has been working towards redeeming the earth to the way that it was in Genesis uh, at the beginning and we see that here in chapter 9 it's beautiful imagery verse 3 I have given them to you for food just as I have given you grain and vegetables But you must never eat any meat that has the lifeblood in it. That's a theme we will continue to explore um, as we read throughout, especially the first five books of the Bible. Verse 5, And I will require the blood of anyone who takes another person's life. If a wild animal kills a person, it must die. And anyone who murders a fellow human must die. If anyone takes a human life, that person's life will also be taken by human hands. For God made human beings in his own image. Now be fruitful and multiply and repopulate the earth. Then God told Noah and his sons, I hereby confirm my covenant with you and your descendants. And with all the animals that were on the boat with you, the birds, the livestock, and all the wild animals, every living creature on earth, yes, I am confirming my covenant with you. Never again will floodwaters kill all living creatures. Never again will a flood destroy the earth. Then God said, I am giving you a sign of my covenant with you and with all living creatures for all generations to come. I have placed my rainbow in the clouds. It is the sign of my covenant with you and with all the earth. When I send clouds over the earth, the rainbow will appear in the clouds, and I will remember my covenant with you and with all living creatures. Never again will the flood waters destroy all life. When I see the rainbow in the clouds, I will remember the eternal covenant between God and every living creature on earth. Then God said to Noah, Yes, this rainbow is the sign of the covenant. I am confirming with all the creatures on earth. Verse 18, the sons of Noah who came out of the boat with their father were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Ham is the father of Canaan. From those three sons of Noah came all the people who now populate the earth. After the flood, Noah began to cultivate the ground. He planted a vineyard. One day he drank some wine he had made and he became drunk and lay naked inside his tent. Ham, the father of Canaan, saw that his father was naked, and went outside and told his brothers. Then Shem and Japheth took a robe, held it over their shoulders, backed into the tent to cover their father. As they did this, they looked the other way so they would not see him naked. When Noah woke up from his stupor, he learned that Ham, his youngest, he learned what Ham, his youngest son, had done. Then he cursed Canaan, the son of Ham, may Canaan be cursed, may he be the lowest of servants to his relatives. Now interjection on my part here, uh, it can seem like a really sharp punishment just for simply seeing his father naked, but we can kind of read into this um, from other cultural writings of the time and realize that um, most and more likely Ham uh, here had uh, sexually um, exploited his father in some kind of way. Uh, Definitely a perverted action that was going on here, especially for the culture that there was here. So... Again, just like the Genesis narrative, God recreates and it starts beautiful and it doesn't take long for the evil of humankind to mess it up, uh, which is why we ought to be just so thankful for Jesus and what he has done on our behalf as we read throughout these stories. Uh, These stories should not lead us to think, man, God is evil or God is um, really messed up for doing these things to us. It's, it shows us that we are messed up and we are evil. And it's amazing that God would send his son to um, not punish us, but to give us a way to find freedom and forgiveness from what we rightly deserve. Picking it up in verse 26. Then Noah said, May the Lord, the God of Shem, be blessed and may Canaan be his servant. May God expand the territory of jephth May jephth share the prosperity of Shem and may Canaan be, Canaan be his servant. Noah lived another three hundred and fifty years after the great flood. He lived nine hundred and fifty years, and then he died. Chapter ten. This is the account of the families of Shem, Ham, and Japheth, the three sons of Noah. Many children were born to them after the great flood. The descendants of Japheth were Gomer, Magog, Madai, Javan, Tubal, Meshech, and Tyrus. The descendants of Gomer were Ashkenaz, Ripheth, and Togabar. The descendants of Javan were Elajeth, Tarshish, Kittim, and Rudaman. Their descendants became the seafaring people that spread out to the various lands, each identified by its own language, clan, and national identity. Let me interject here before we continue to read about the descendants. To you and I, the descendants may seem boring, but to those who were originally the readers of this text, it would have been the story of how their people came into being. So just like we love to get... Um, Well, at least I do. I really enjoy reading about my ancestors, and I think it's really cool that you can go to things like Ancestry DNA and send in uh, a sample of your own DNA and find out about your family history. I think it's really interesting to know where we came from. This would have been fascinating to those who um, were reading this to know the origin story of their people. And ultimately, it should be important to us as God's people because we get to see our faith origins in these um, genealogies. So with that said, verse 6, The descendants of Ham were Cush, Miziar, Put, and Canaan. The descendants of Cush were Seba, Havelf, Sabeth, Raham, Sabetica. The descendants of Raham were Sheba and Dedan. Cush was also the ancestor of Nimrod, which, by the way, interjection here has got to be the worst name in the Bible, Nimrod. Just don't name your kid Nimrod. Bad name. Picking you back up. Who was the first heroic warrior on earth? Since he was the greatest hunter in the world, his name became proverbial. People would say, this man is like Nimrod, the greatest hunter in the world. He built his kingdom in the land of Babylonia, with cities of Babylon, Erech, Akkad, and Kalanay. From there, he expanded his territory to Assyria, building the cities of Nineveh, Rabuthith, Kalah, and Rezin, the great city located between Nineveh and Kalah. Miserior was the ancestor of Ludites, Anamites, Lehibites, Napulites, Parasotes, Kazolites, and Kafirites, from whom the Philistines came. Canaan's oldest son was Sidion, the ancestor of the Sidions. Canaan was also the ancestor of the Hittites, Jebusites, Amurites, Gergesites, Hivites, Archites, Sinites, Avridites. Zimrites and Hamathites. The Canaanite clans eventually spread out, and the territory of Canaan extended from Sidon in the north to Geziar and Gaza in the south, and east as far as Sodom, Gomorrah, Adam, and Zehebiom near Lasha. These were the descendants of Ham, identified by clan, language, territory, and national identity. Verse 21. Sons were also born to Shem, the older brother of Jepheth. Shem was the ancestor of all descendants of Eber. The descendants of Shem were Elam, Asher, Aphrodax, Lud, and Aram. The descendants of Aram were Uz, Hol, Gether, and Mash. Aphrodax was the father of Shelah, and Shelah was the father of Eber. Eber had two sons. The first name, the first was named Peleg, which means division. For during his lifetime, the people of the world were divided into different language groups. His brother's name was. Jokhatan. By the way, interjection here, I've literally probably pronounced every single one of these names wrong. <laughs> Verse 26. Jokotan, the ancestor of Alemeded, Shephalem, and Hazarmith. Jeremiah, Hadaron, Uzel, Dikel, Obey, Abedamel, Sheba, Ophunmar, Havel, and Jobab. All these were descendants of Jokotan. The territory they occupied extended from Mesha all the way to Sefer in the eastern mountains. These were the descendants of Shem, identified by clan, language, territory, and national identity. These are the clans that the descendants from Noah's sons arranged by nations according to their lines of descent. All the nations of the earth descended from these clans after the great flood. Moving on to our proverb for the day, be reading in Proverbs 1, verses 20-23. through Wisdom shouts in the street. She cries out in the public square. She calls to the crowds along the main street to those gathered in front of the city gate. How long, you simpletons, will you insist on being simple-minded? How long will you mockers relish in your mocking? How long will you fools hate knowledge? Come and listen to my counsel. I'll share my heart with you and make you wise. Father, thank you that you have made wisdom um, knowable. Lord... And despite um, natural ability or natural intellect. Um, God, you have made it to where we can all, if we will listen to your word and listen to your ways, have wisdom. And God, I pray that we would not continue on in our simple-minded ways, um, in our foolishness, but Lord, that we would humbly come to you and seek that which is true wisdom. In your name we pray, amen. Moving on to our New Testament reading for the day, Matthew chapter 4, verse 12 through 25. Verse 12. When Jesus heard that John had been arrested, he left Judea and returned to Galilee. He went first to Nazareth, and then he left there and moved to Capernaum, beside the Sea of Galilee, in the region of Nebulun and Nephetali. This fulfilled what God said to the prophet Isaiah. In the land of Zebulun and Nephetali, beside the sea, beyond the Jordan River in Galilee... Where so many Gentiles live, the people who sat in darkness, have seen a great light. And for those who live in the land where death cast its shadow, a light has shined. Verse 17. From then on, Jesus began to preach, Repent of your sins and turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. One day, as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simeon, also called Peter, and Andrew, throwing a net into the water, for they fished for a living, Jesus called out to them, Come, follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. And they left their nets at once and followed him. Uh, interjection here, we often hear that we should be fishermen for men as Christians. It's kind of a, if, if you are familiar with the Christian faith, you've probably heard that a lot. There's people who do series on it uh, if you are part of a church, especially in the Western world. Um, but what Jesus was doing here was actually really clever in the fact that these men were already fishermen, and he was using what they already do as a way of metaphor to show them what he has called them to do, which I think is just really fascinating, that whatever you're doing in your everyday life can, um, in turn, be uh, used as a way for you to make a difference in the kingdom of God. Verse 21. A little farther up the shore, he saw two other brothers, James and John, sitting in a boat with their father Zebedee, repairing their nets, and he called to them to come too. They immediately followed him, leaving the boat and their father behind. Jesus traveled throughout the region of Galilee, teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom, and he healed every kind of disease and illness. News about him spread as far as Syria, and people soon began bringing to him all who were sick. Whatever their sickness and disease, or if they were demon-possessed or epileptic or paralyzed, he healed them all. Large crowds followed him wherever he went, people from Galilee. Ten towns, Jerusalem, and from all over Judea, and from the east of the Jordan River. Jesus has always attracted large crowds. Um, I don't think there's a problem uh, with churches who have large crowds. In fact, we shouldn't be surprised by it. The promises of Jesus and the reports of what Jesus has done uh, in our lives uh, as Christ followers should indeed draw a big crowd. Um uh, But as always, and we'll see as we continue reading in the Gospel of Matthew and the other Gospels, that those who are truly disciples, those who truly follow Jesus, um, are going to have to sacrifice and bear their cross. And there's always been a remnant or a smaller number, a portion of people who actually take the step to follow Jesus in all of life. It's one thing to be interested in who Jesus is and what he does and show up at a church service and be a part of the crowd, Um, but it's a whole other thing to say, I'm going to uh, make Jesus the Lord of my life and truly be a disciple of His. And we'll begin to see that distinction as we read throughout the Gospels. Finally, our psalm of the day, Psalm 4. And as always, we will pray through this. Uh, I suggest reading the psalms in a posture of prayer. And um, we will get to do that together. So you just read and as God would lead something in your mind, you pray. Uh, I'm going to do this at my own pace, but I would suggest if you have time to go back today and read this Psalm yourself and pray as God would lead you as you read each verse of the text, starting in verse one, answer me when I call to you. O God, who declares me innocent, free me from my troubles, have mercy on me and hear my prayer. Father God, thank you that you do have mercy on me and, uh, Lord, despite the mistakes and mess ups, um, the sins that I've committed. Uh, Lord, you listen to me because of what Jesus has done. In Hebrews, you tell me I can come boldly before your throne. Thank you, God. Thank you, O righteous God, that I can call out to you and have my prayers heard. Verse 2. How long will you people ruin my reputation? How long will you make groundless accusations? How long will you continue your lies? God, God, I uh, pray a special prayer uh, for those who um, are being attacked right now, uh, who have their reputation being attacked. Uh, Lord, I pray that um, they would stand strong, that they would, as you say in Exodus, stay silent and let the Lord fight their battles. Lord, I personally know how hard it is when reputation is being attacked um, to not fight back. And yet, Lord, nine out of ten times, I um, believe I am called to not fight back, but to let my actions speak for themselves. And Lord, in my own life, I pray that you'd help me with that. Help me not to give in to um, those who would seek to destroy my reputation. But Lord, help me to trust that you fight for my reputation and that ultimately I don't live for other people or have to fear other people. Uh, but Lord, I only live for you. I live for an audience of one. Help that to be true in my own life. Verse 3. You can be sure of this. The Lord set apart the godly for himself. The Lord will answer when I call to him. Again, God, thank you for answering when I call because you have made me godly through the cross of Jesus Christ. Verse 4. Don't sin by letting anger control you. Think about it overnight and remain silent. And uh, in the New Living Translation, it says interlude. In most translations, it'll say salah, which means to stop and think. So often what I like to do, especially when it's something like that, is just to read it again don't sin by letting anger control you think about it overnight and remain silent god right now in my life there are areas in which i am tempted to be angry and to act out of that anger um, give me the courage and remind me of this verse to think about it to be calm cool and collected and to remain silent when i am angry and to speak only when I can speak with peace and have confidence in what you would have me to say Verse five offer sacrifices in the right spirit and trust the Lord Lord um, the ultimate sacrifice in Jesus has been made on my behalf but your Bible tells me in the New Testament that I make pleasing sacrifices to you through my life help me to live in a posture of worship uh, that would be um, pleasing to you Lord help me to as I make financial gifts uh, to the church and to your mission, I pray that those would be pleasing sacrifices to you, as Paul says they are in Philippians chapter four. Uh, God, that I wouldn't be doing it to uh, benefit myself or to make people think highly of me, but that it would be out of the right spirit for you. Verse six. Many people say, "Who will show us better times?" Let your face smile on us, Lord. You have given me greater joy than those who have har- abundant harvest of grain and new, n- new wine. Lord, you truly are better than the greatest riches of this world. You are my source of joy. And, Lord, there are days in which I do not feel joy. And I believe those days are days in which I am forgetting my ultimate hope in you, my trust in you, and my belief in you. Remind me of that joy when I feel joyless. Verse 8. In peace I will lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, will keep me safe. God, please. Help me to feel the security that I know you provide. That I might be a person of peace. That I would be able to sleep easy. Lord, I pray that others would find this peace as well. And you would help me be a person who can help others find this peace. To share good truths about you. So that we might feel safe as we are. Lord, we know that even though the foundations of the earth may shake, you are ultimately and fully in control of it all. Firmly seated in your throne in the heavens, Jesus. We thank you overall for today's reading, uh, Lord. Thank you for the way that you've encouraged us through the old, the New Testament, the old and New Testament, the Proverbs, and our Psalm of the day. It's in your name we pray. Amen. That concludes our reading for today. If you'd like to support this podcast, you can simply support our church here in Woodward, Oklahoma, at AscentChurch.org. As always, I want to read the Bible together. So let me know your thoughts on today's text, maybe some of the things the Lord showed you in your time praying through the fourth psalm, uh, anywhere that you can connect with us, uh, whether that be in Facebook comments, on the blog, uh, BlakeFarley.org, or um, any other place that you might be listening to this podcast. Uh, Let me know what your comments and thoughts are, so that we can truly read the Bible together, because I truly believe that the Bible comes to life and is most beneficial to us, not when we do it just in an individual way, but we invite others into our reading. We'll see you tomorrow for day five of reading through the Bible together.